This is our second week in the book of Romans, and it gives us the opportunity to discuss the very relevant and and difficult issue of homosexuality. Now, as I have prayed earnestly about this message and the best way to sort of approach this message and this passage, God laid on my heart uh, simply to read the passage and to make four observations to help us understand what God is saying in the passage, as well as to share a testimony that God himself provided for us just for this morning uh, to show us his mercy and his grace and his love. So please take your Bible and turn to the book of Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, it's page 911 in the church Bibles. Romans chapter 1. While you're turning, let me say that the issue of homosexuality is a very complex and emotional issue. There's no way to cover all of the things that could or should be covered on the subject this morning. And so what I've done is in your notes, I've provided you with some additional resources that I hope will be helpful to you. There are five listed there. The first is a more academic article uh, that goes into Romans 1 in a much uh, much deeper sort of exegetical kind of way and explains what's going on in the passage, particularly uh, to those who may think that Romans 1 is not addressing current situations that we have today. I believe it does. I believe all of God's word speaks to us today. But that article is helpful for explaining how it is that this is addressing a situation like the one we have today. The second resource is a book called When Homosexuality Hits Home. It's an excellent book. Uh, I read it. It contains really practical, helpful advice for those who have a loved one that's dealing with the issue of homosexuality. And so I encourage you to take a look at that. The third resource that's listed for you is our pastoral care department. If this is an issue that you struggle with or you're personally going on a journey in this area, we would love to come alongside of you in absolute confidentiality and anonymity to pray with you and to walk alongside of you. There are others in this church who are going through the same aspects of the journey that you're on, and we want to help uh, the best that we can. The fourth resource uh, is a book. Uh, It's called The Confessions of an Unlikely Convert. It's a story of a woman who was saved in the midst of a lesbian relationship, and it's a powerful story, the first two chapters especially, her testimony about how a church uh, loved her so much uh, that she couldn't help but see God's love for her in the midst of that. The fifth resource is an article, an online article from uh, a, an, a really excellent Christian pastor who to this day continues to struggle with same-sex attraction. And so those five resources are available to help you think through uh, these issues more deeply. I'm going to be reading Romans 1 verses 18 to 33, and then I'll make some observations. Please listen as I read. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. 
For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, Just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind, so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. That's a heavy text. It's a difficult passage. I want to say at the outset, this passage is about a lot more than the issue of homosexuality. However, this is a good opportunity for us to speak to the issue of homosexuality because this passage, probably more than any other in the New Testament, addresses it directly. So what I'd like to do is make four observations from this passage to help us to understand what God and the Apostle Paul are saying to us today. First observation is that this passage addresses two aspects of homosexuality directly. It's important to begin as we listen to God's word to understand what it is that he is directly addressing and what it is that he is not directly addressing in this passage. So let's begin with what is God directly speaking about in Romans chapter 1. Do you see in verse 26 the phrase shameful lusts? Do you see in verse 27 the phrase we're inflamed with lust for one another? One aspect of homosexuality that is being directly addressed in this passage is the aspect of homosexual lust. Now the Bible is quite clear that lust for someone of the opposite sex is a sin. 
Here the Bible is also clear that lust for someone of the same sex is sin as well. Now, what does the word lust imply? It implies things like pornography. It implies the excessive uh, dwelling on the idea of sexuality. It's the longing for sexuality in an unhealthy sort of way. This is what God says This kind of lust, whether it's for heterosexuality or homosexuality, this kind of lust is forbidden and it's a sin. The second thing that this directly addresses in verse 26, exchange natural sexual relations. Verse 27, men committed shameful acts with other men. The second thing that this directly addresses is homosexual sexual activity. It's the actual activity or engaging in sexual intercourse that is being directly addressed in this passage. And God views all such sexual activity as being sin without qualification. What I mean without qualification means... There's nothing in here that says, well, if it's two consenting adults or if they're in something that the U.S. government or some world government recognizes as being a marriage, that's okay. No, in Romans 1, this is addressing all homosexual activity without qualification. So two things are being directly addressed here, homosexual lust and homosexual activity. What's not being addressed here is same-sex attraction. Same-sex attraction is not the same thing as lust. Any more than temptation is the same thing as sin. Attraction and lust are different from one another and same-sex attraction is not being directly addressed in this passage. What also is not being directly addressed in this passage is homosexual identity. What I mean by that, this passage is not addressing those who call themselves homosexuals. It's addressing humans, you and I. And it's talking about lots and lots of things here. Greed and malice and disobedience, uh, disobeying parents and slander and being arrogant and being boastful. And yes, also homosexual lust and activity. What's not at issue here is identity. What I mean is, if someone identifies themselves as a homosexual but does not engage in lust or sexual intercourse, this passage is not addressing that situation. Likewise, if someone doesn't identify themselves as a homosexual, but is engaging in lust and homosexual activity, Romans 1 is identifying that as sin. And the issue here is not identity, but activity. Romans 1 is, not also, is also not addressing the issue of whether a secular society should approve of gay marriage or same-sex unions. 
The Bible does have things to say about the role of government. The book of Romans has things to say about the role of government. But Romans 1 is not addressing that issue. Romans 1 is talking about the relationship of individuals to our Father in heaven. So, observation number one. It's important to realize that Romans 1 is speaking directly about homosexual lust and homosexual intercourse. Second observation. The placement of this passage in the book of Romans is very, very important. Nothing happens in God's world or especially in God's word by accident. God has placed this passage where he has by choice. What I mean is, the book of Romans does not begin in verse 18. It begins with a section from verses 1 to 17 that we looked at last week, whose sole and primary message is, Jesus is risen. This is where the good news begins, with the truth that Jesus is risen. And what I think is very important is to understand the reason that God begins with the gospel is because the truth that Jesus is risen changes everything. There is nothing, no attitude, no action that is not affected by the fact that Jesus is risen. And so God begins there. That's why the last phrase before our passage, look at it, verse 17. The righteous will live by faith. And so Paul begins with the proclamation that Jesus is risen because that proclamation, God uses that to create faith. Once faith is created, then we can begin to understand what it is that God has to say in the rest of the book of Romans, including this passage on homosexuality. That's why to me it's very interesting if you look at the practice of the Apostle Paul or the other apostles that we have written in the New Testament. The message that they preach to those who do not yet believe is always the same. Jesus is risen. And that through Jesus you can have the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. In other words, Romans 1 is not designed to prove to a non-Christian that homosexual activity is wrong. In fact, you can't understand what's going on in Romans 1 apart from faith. Because in Romans 1, we have the revelation of God, but it requires faith. Otherwise, it simply sounds like foolishness. There was a friend of mine who God had laid on my heart and I was praying for him to come to faith. And I shared the gospel with him. And at one point during our conversations, we were sitting together at lunch and he says to me, yeah, but what about homosexuality? Like it just doesn't seem right that if you've got two consenting adults, that this somehow could be wrong. And you know what? He's on to something. Apart from the spirit and apart from faith, there's no way to come to that realization. There's no way apart from God's Uh, revelation 
to be able to come to that point. And so what I said to him was, listen, I can explain to you. I don't want to try to hide it from you. I can explain to you what God has to say about this. But this is actually a distraction. This is not the message God wants to communicate to you. So I told him. I said, it's not going to make any sense to you. I wouldn't bother trying to figure it all out. Let me just tell you what it is. And so I shared it with him. And then we got back to the truth that God did want him to hear, which is Jesus is risen. My friend came to faith. And as God transformed his mind over time, he began to see what God was saying about homosexuality. That's the way it's supposed to work. That's why this passage follows the presentation of the gospel. Apart from faith, you can't understand what God is saying. Likewise, it's also important to note that this passage is not the end of the book of Romans. Meaning that God has a lot more things that he needs to say to make sense of the issues that he is introducing in this passage. For example, have you ever heard anyone say, homosexuality can't possibly be wrong because people are born that way? Well, of course it's possible that people think that way because God has to explain to us what does it mean to be born in Adam? And what does it mean to be born in sin? And why is it necessary for our old selves to have to be crucified if there are no inherent desires in our, own self, in our old selves that we were born with that we have to deal with? God has to talk about that subject. Have you ever heard anyone say, but for me, homosexuality feels natural. Heterosexuality feels unnatural. Well, of course it does. Of course, for some people, homosexuality feels natural. That's why God has to address the subject of the flesh in Romans 7 and the spirit in Romans 8. That's why he has to tell us, you and I have to put on the Lord Jesus Christ so that we do not fulfill the desires of our lustful flesh. We don't do the things that we naturally want to do. He has to talk about those issues. How many of you have ever heard anyone say, but the Bible doesn't really address gay marriage or what's going to happen in a monogamous, consensual uh, relationship between two adult men or to, between two adult women because that wasn't being talked about in the first century. Well, of course we've got questions about those kinds of things. That's why Romans 4 and Romans 15 have to share with us that even though the Bible was written 2,000 years ago, because it was written by God Almighty who stands outside of time, he wrote it in such a way that it not only addresses situations that were occurring 2,000 years ago, but what's going on today. You see, the point is, is that this is not the conclusion of the book of Romans because there's so many more things we have to have God reveal to us in order to understand what he's saying here. We have to understand what love truly is from Romans chapter 8, how suffering fits into the whole picture. What about the new uh, creation that God is going to make? How's that going to work? How about sin? How about the cross? How about the fact that two different people can struggle with two different things? How about the fact that there are some who are weak in the faith and some who are strong in the faith? All of these issues have to be told to us by God in order for us to be able to understand what he's saying here. This is an introduction to a subject, not the conclusion. What that means is parents, for example. If you want your children 
to have a God-honoring view of sexuality, including this topic, you should view this sermon as an introduction and not a conclusion. This is not a standalone sermon on a topic. This is God saying, look, the rest of the book of Romans, and in my opinion, more than any other book of the Bible, presents fundamental truths that can only be understood by faith, without which you simply cannot understand God's view on sexuality. You simply can't do it. And so the very best thing that you can do for your children, the very best thing that we can do as a church, is go through the book of Romans and allow God to teach us as if he's teaching us a class. And we should view this as the second session in the class, not the last one. That God has many more things to say to us because our minds have to be reformed in accordance with the truth that he reveals to us by faith. So the second observation is the placement of this passage in Romans is incredibly important. God's message to us begins with the gospel. And everything that God has to say about human sexuality cannot be understood apart from the truth that Jesus is risen. Observation number three. Homosexual activity is just a sign not the main issue. Homosexual activity is just a sign, not the main issue. The main issue in Romans chapter 1 is found in verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. The chief issue running throughout the book of Romans is the sin of pride. And the chief piece that is connected to that, the solution to it, is gratitude. That's why next week we're going to come back to this very same passage and we're going to talk about the root issue, which is pride and gratitude. Homosexuality then, homosexual activity, homosexual lust is just a sign that something else is going wrong at a deeper level of the heart. The fourth resource that I put in your paper, uh, in in your notes, the woman woman who wrote, uh, got saved out of a lesbian relationship, it's a really powerful story. She was a tenured professor at Syracuse University where her specialty was queer theory. She was actively involved in lecturing on lesbian and gay studies. And God brought her powerfully to faith. Now, the first chapter in the book is her testimony about how that happened. The second chapter is her wrestling with, okay, well, I, I grew up in all of this. I accepted all of this. I taught all of this. I promoted all of this. How in the world do I come to deal with what God has to say in his word about this? And there's a quote from that second chapter that I think is really powerful that makes this point. Uh, Her name is Rosario. She says, at this time, I was just starting to pray that God would show me my sins and help me to repent of them. So again, like we've said here, starts with the gospel. God used the gospel to bring her to faith. And then she began to pray and to think about her sins. I didn't understand why homosexuality was a sin. 
why something in the particular manifestation of same-gender love was wrong in itself. And of course she didn't, because we know this by faith. But I did know that pride was a sin, and so I decided to start there. As I began to pray and repent, I wondered, could pride be the root of all my sins? And then in the book, she goes through all the passages in the Bible connected to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And this is what she concludes. These passages forced me to see pride and not sexual orientation as the root sin. That's the point from Romans chapter 1. The issue, the real issue, is people who have forgotten about God, people who have turned away from God, people who have magnified themselves and their interests and their desires over and against God. And the point is, is homosexual activity and homosexual lust is simply a sign that something else deeper is going on in the heart. Which means that there can be And there are people who are struggling with homosexual activity and homosexual lust who are Christians. Because it's simply a sign. It's a sign of a heart that has something wrong between it and God. But it is not the determinative issue. What makes somebody a Christian is their faith in Jesus and is often the case with all of us. Despite our faith in Jesus, we often find ourselves engaging in behavior that Jesus would not approve of. That is not good, it is not acceptable, and God will deal with it, but it does not determine whether we are Christians or not. So the third observation, homosexuality, homosexual activity, is a sign, not the main issue. Fourth and final observation, homosexual activity is just one sign among many. Greed, malice, depravity, envy, murder, gossiping, slandering, being insolent, boastful, disobeying parents. These are all signs that something is wrong in the heart. Homosexual lust and homosexual activity is just one of many signs that something has gone wrong in our relationship with God or something has gone wrong in someone's relationship with God. You say, well, if it's just one sign among many, why did you pull it out and spend all of our time on it this morning? I did that because it's the one that Romans chapter 1 is highlighting. And because Romans chapter 1 is highlighting it, I'm highlighting it this morning. There are other passages that highlight the sin of slander. There are other passages that highlight the sin of gossip. When we get to those passages, we will highlight those sins. But the point is, homosexual activity and homosexual lust is highlighted in Romans 1, but it's only one sign among many, which means a couple of things. Number one, you can't single it out to dismiss it. If you want to say, well, God and the Bible, they don't know anything about the current situation because uh, back at the time of Romans, we didn't have the same kind of consensual monogamous relationship, which isn't true, by the way. But if somebody's going to argue that, 
The point is, well, then the Bible can't talk about greed either because Paul didn't live in a capitalist economy. Or the Bible can't talk about slander because Paul didn't have social media. No, the point is you can't pull one of these out and dismiss it. They all go together. They're all signs. Homosexual lust, greed, slander, disobeying parents. They're all signs that something is wrong. And we can't pull one of them out and go, well, that one doesn't really count. That one doesn't work today. But likewise, you can't single one out to demonize it. It's one sign among many. It's highlighted here. But in reality, there's not very many passages where this sign is highlighted. There are many passages where some of these other signs are highlighted. And so we can't single homosexual lust or homosexual activity out as a sign to demonize it, to say somehow this is worse, somehow this is different, somehow this shows someone who's really walked away from the Lord. Notice all the rest of these come at the end of the passage. This passage has a progression to it. And the point is, is that homosexual activity is a sign, but it's just one sign among many that something's going wrong at the heart level. So let me summarize what it is that I think Romans 1 is saying about the issue of homosexuality. Homosexual lust and homosexual activity are just two signs among many of a heart that is not right with God. Not necessarily a non-Christian heart, very may may well could be, but a heart that is not right with God. But only through God's grace, as revealed to us in his word, and accepted by faith, can we come to understand this and so be drawn by God to a place of forgiveness and mercy. Let me say that again. Homosexual lust and homosexual activity are just two signs among many of a heart that is not right with God, but only through God's grace, as revealed in his word, and accepted by faith can we come to understand this and so be drawn by God to a place of mercy and forgiveness and freedom and grace. To that end, I was overjoyed to receive this testimony this week. I shouldn't have been surprised because God's got all this stuff planned out. But this is from a woman in our congregation who wrote me her testimony and said, God wanted me to give this to you. I said, can I share it with the congregation? She said, go ahead. So here's her story. Some people start with how they grew up in a Christian home and went to church, and so will I. I believed in God, and I believed the Bible was the word of God. I believed the gospel, and I asked Jesus to be my savior when I was still very young. But at the age of 18, I started drifting away from God and making sinful choices. I didn't realize by doing this, I was giving away precious ground on the battle of spiritual warfare. I met my husband in my early 20s a good Christian man from a solid Christian home. We knew of God, but we weren't including him in our marriage, so we were building on a sandy foundation at best. During the first year of our marriage, my family went through an upheaval, and we fell apart. With no church family, no prayer life, and no reliance on God, I rushed to the only things I thought would make the pain stop. I became a functional alcoholic and a recreational drug user at the age of 23. And my husband and I stopped communicating. 
On our anniversary, I told him something had to change. He moved out the next day. Despite the Holy Spirit's promptings not to, I filed for divorce. This broken relationship shattered my trust and my heart, which made me really angry at God, even though I'd left him out of all of my decisions. I was so outraged at what I perceived as injustice over some of my circumstances that I either became physically ill or violent and raging when I would attempt to read my Bible or pray. How could this possibly be happening to me? I was in total denial of my own culpability in any of it. I had zero faith that God would see me through this, so I simply walked away from him. During the year that followed, I felt completely lost until I decided to join the Navy. It was the fresh start that I was craving to fill the hole left from ripping God out of my life. But I found myself smack dab in the middle of San Diego and in a hotbed of alternative lifestyles. At that point, I'd been walking through the desert long enough that when I saw the mirage of Satan's lies promising me happiness, I ran towards it instead of seeing it for the deception it was. It looked like paradise from where I was standing. I was unaware that he would use the strongholds I'd loosed in college to his advantage. I allowed myself to fall headfirst into a serious same-sex relationship that led to a homosexual marriage. I knew the Bible said that homosexuality was a sin, so I started looking for reasons to disprove or discredit the Bible's stand on the subject. I'd been attracted to women for years. I dated women on and off in Grand Rapids after the divorce from my husband, and I always justified it by reasoning that I was already doomed for eternity. All the lies I told myself, all the lies I told myself during that time originated from the father of lies himself. There wasn't any recognizable truth in it. Thank the Lord that my mom is a God-fearing prayer warrior. She always prayed for me, but until the moment I came out to her, she didn't know how far I'd wandered from God's flock. Needless to say that she started praying for me fervently and specifically from that moment on. Less than a year later, with stress peaking at work, my wife decided to call it off suddenly, and I spiraled out of control. I lost my bearing and ended up admitting myself to the Naval Hospital's psychiatric ward. At the time, I didn't know what had prompted me to bring the Bible that my cousin had given me before I went to boot camp. I spent the next week reading God's word and finding such a source of peace and strength, things I hadn't truly experienced for a long time. During that week, I realized that I really can't do anything apart from God. Without him, I had no way to deal with everything Satan was throwing my way. Lies that kept me looking at my own weakness and shame, focusing on my failures and insufficiency instead of looking to our helper and comforter. As soon as I got back to the ship, I got caught up in the hustle and bustle of military life. I let myself think that this brush with the Lord was a fluke and that I'd be fine without relying on him. This went on for months while my divorce from my wife proceeded and my work got more and more stressful. I'd stopped reading my Bible and stopped praying. On my 31st birthday, I got flown off the ship, sent back to the hospital psychiatric ward to spend another week in suicide precautions. It became crystal clear that I absolutely could not navigate through life relying solely on myself, that I needed God, not just to admit that he's out there, but need to trust that if I fall on my face before him in repentance, receive his loving discipline, and commit myself passionately to walking with him, that he will not forsake me. So at the age of 31, I prayed for the Lord to truly be the savior of my entire life and deliver me from my sinful habits. 
Thanks to my mom's ardent prayers and my willingness to submit to the Lord, releasing my control and tearfully pleading with him to take away my interest in women, he absolutely rescued me. I thought as a consequence for my choices that this attraction would be my daily struggle for the rest of my life. But by the grace of God, he took it away from me. For the first time in over a decade, I no longer identified as a bisexual woman. I've known such freedom since I gave it over to the Lord. Never before did I expect to experience such a victory over sin or the overwhelming peace and joy that comes from relying on our Heavenly Father to take care of things we can't control. Sorry. Since then, he's brought people and literature into my life that, that have illuminated his word in ways I never thought possible. He's shown me how to pray, and I've enjoyed cultivating an actual relationship with him, which is humbling and empowering at the same time. I've seen my prayers answered in so many unique ways. I've felt him moving in my life. He's helping me seek truth and purity. He taught me to forgive people I'd been harboring resentments toward for years. And it's such a gift to be able to relinquish my control and my hurt. I've asked him to show me the lies engulfing my old ways of thinking, and he has. He is the king of light, and where he is, no darkness can remain. Lamentations 3 simply reads, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Now, that's just one person's story. Your story is going to be different, but exactly the same. The same because it's going to be about a merciful, powerful, forgiving God, a God of all truth who will tell you there is nothing that you can ever do that will eternally doom you except to reject the love that God offers in Jesus. Your story will be the same. You may continue to struggle with same-sex attraction. God may take it away. You may experience victory for a while. You may stumble again. Whatever your story is going to be, you may be struck with fears. You may have a loved one who walks through this issue. Whatever the details of your story or my story, it will end the same. A loving, powerful gracious God who is stronger than all our sins. The reason why this is not the end of the book of Romans is because God has so much more to tell us about the salvation and the life that he's given to us because Jesus is risen. 